What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. Welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Erin? What? I have news. Ooh. Chunky the cat keeps trying to commit suicide or something. What? Why? How? I need more information. My Chunky is the most dramatic boy you have ever met, and he had to get some dental work done because he's an FIV-positive cat and sometimes they have bad teeth. So he was such a good boy for his dental, but then I had to give him antibiotics, and Aaron, it went downhill fast. Like, I had to call the house call vet and be like, I don't think he's doing well. Oh, my God. What was his problem? He, he uh, in his defense, and he's sitting right here with me, in his defense, he actually had an allergic reaction to the antibiotics. But the thing is, Aaron, but all of my cats get sick on Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, going back to the beginning of time with first cat shrimp, so I was like, Chunky, you're being awfully dramatic, and you know I get very sensitive when cats get sick of Thanksgiving. So please pull it together. Right. He just laid there limp. He laid there limp. But he's bouncing back. Oh, that's good. Well, most of the pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower died that first winter. So there's a, you know, getting really sick is a great... Historical precedence, yeah. It's a great way to celebrate Thanksgiving, actually. Um, but I'm glad all your pilgrims made it. Thank you. Thank you so much. This week, we're joined by Megan Rapino to take on the following questions. What fashion house scored an own goal with an atrocious ad campaign? What does Megan Rapino bring to Thanksgiving? Can FIFA fuckery be unfucked? And who is sick again? All this and more right now. News. We have some news, but I think we are more jazzed about our guest this week. So we're going to kind of zip through some stories. Yeah. Like, what haven't you heard before? Yeah. I mean, find out season continues apace. Yes. Two Oath Keepers, including the founder, were convicted of seditious conspiracy in uh, January 6th related fuckery, which is great. If not them, then who? I mean, what is seditious conspiracy around for except not these fucknuts? Yeah, seriously. Uh, Oath, Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs, another member of the uh, far-right Trump-worshipping organization, uh, they were found guilty of seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol this week. Um, it was a victory for the government, and it apparently involved a rarely used Civil War-era statute. Interesting. What do you know? I mean, the Civil War only lasted four years, as did the Trump administration. So the Civil War and, and the Trump admin and the losers who lost won't shut up about it. So <laughs> bookends. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Please let this be a bookend. The seditious conspiracy charge uh, has a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. So it's it's not to be trifled with. Um, and you know what? I that's you know what did you what did you think would happen, sir? Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. You know, indeed, Bye. indeed. Alyssa, we're kind of on the cusp of another uh, rail system disaster. Can you update us on the situation? Aaron, I hate this story. I hate it because it's it's just 
I hate it. The U.S. House of Representatives is going to vote today. We're recording on Wednesday, so they're supposed to vote today to block a potential rail strike after President Biden warned of the dire economic consequences of a rail disruption that could happen as early as December 9th. So a couple things that are interesting. One, December 9th seems far away. The reason they have to deal with this now is because companies that would start to plan to ship things will not put them on pallets and such if they are not going to be available to ship on December 9th. So we understand that this could, according to what we have read, that a strike of the railway workers would have catastrophic economic impact if a strike occurred. Now, they had a press conference, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer did, saying that by avoiding a strike saves up to 765,000 Americans who could lose their jobs if there was a strike. But Aaron, this all boils down to the fact that what, like, the drama of the potential strike is overshadowing what the strike is actually about. And what the strike is about is that these workers who... Let me just and this is this is an interesting thing I have a I have a hard time get, wrapping my brain around. A rail traffic stoppage could freeze almost 30% of US cargo shipments by weight, stoke already surging inflation and cost the American economy as much as 2 billion dollars per day. Okay? So it seems like these workers are pretty fucking essential, something that I thought we learned during COVID. And so I think that it is it is troubling to me um that the workers right now, the agreement on the table that they're being asked to accept, denies them any paid sick leave. That's ridiculous. Aaron, they're asking for four days of sick leave. Can you, for a moment, imagine a world in which we want people working on the railroad who are sick. It seems pretty fucking dangerous to me. And I think that this is appalling. And it is an issue that seems to have united both Bernie Sanders and Marco Rubio, um, who both object to the fact that this agreement does not have uh, paid sick leave in it. It does have a pay raise of, I think, 24% over four or five years. So it's not exactly a huge boost in their paychecks out the gate. Um, so anyway, I, um, I understand what this would do to the economy if there were a strike, which is why I think if it would be so catastrophic and these folks are so important, which they are, we should give them their fucking sick days. <sighs> I, yeah, the more I read about this, the more I see it as another example of American government doing things in the stupidest way possible. What should happen is there should be federally mandated paid sick days for every worker yes. across every industry. But because we can't get that done, what's going to happen is like several small pains in the ass. Like it's sort of like, have you ever shared a car with somebody who only puts like $2 worth of gas in at once? Oh, yes. And then you're just constantly having to just like fucking, my dad does this. And it's like, so he'll leave it just barely any gas and like it's just this kind of game of chicken when I was a kid it was like a game of chicken where it's like well I'm not going to put enough gas in there that you get to run it down right like I'm just going to put in anyway what would have been better is if whoever was driving when it was almost out of gas just filled the whole tank up and then the same thing the next right we are doing these little fixes or proposing these little fixes 
when there is one obvious fix that would prevent dozens and dozens of headaches across dozens and dozens of industries. We're the only industrialized nation without paid sick leave. This is, it's fucking crazy. And I just, I understand deeply, uh, I understand how serious the strike would be. And that is why it seems to me that four days of paid sick leave would be a small price to pay. Even though the folks who own the companies are saying, well, we'd have to hire more workers if people got sick. Yeah. As opposed to making sick people work on railroads. Like, what? This is, no one's going to go fucking bankrupt because they gave people some sick days. I'm sorry, they're not. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think anybody should have to work when they're sick, but- out of the people who should have to work the least when they're sick, it's the people that are handling multi-ton machinery that travels at a high speed. Right. They are responsible for what would be a $2 billion per day dollar loss to the country. They feel important to me, Erin. They feel very important. Yeah, they feel very important. Uh, let's transition to something that is significantly less important but taking up a lot of oxygen. I curse you for bringing this into my life. I'm so sorry, but I feel like we need to talk <laughs> about it because in all of the discussion I've seen about it, everybody is acting like a goddamn idiot. Okay. Okay. Earlier this month, Balenciaga, uh, which you and I, huge Balenciaga customers. We love, no, just kidding. Oh, huge. I'm just dripping in it right now. Oh, yeah. I, I, I My whole closet is Balenciaga. <laughs> Obviously. We are not the target demo no. for Balenciaga. I do not. This is just, I, I, I do not. We, we do seem to be smarter than anyone currently working at their company, though. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, so Balenciaga dropped its uh, holiday ad campaign, which featured children holding teddy bears in bondage harnesses and costumes. But the, the teddy bears are purses from Balenciaga's collection. Um, they're uh, whatever. OK. <laughs> There's been huge backlash against the, the images because they're they're creepy. They're creepy looking images. Um, yeah. But what really made people angry. And I would say that this was an incredibly fucked up and stupid move by this brand. Uh, in a separate ad uh, that was released on November 21st, promoting Balenciaga's spring-summer 2023 collection, a bag from the fashion house's Adidas collab was photographed on these papers. And some people zoomed in on the papers and saw that it was uh, documents from the Supreme Court case U.S. versus Williams, which was a uh, 2008 case, I believe, that upheld the Protect Act, which increased federal protections uh, for children. It basically said that that uh, child pornography is not protected by free speech. It was one of the the rulings of, of that, um, and both campaigns, uh, because one of them featured children in a kind of creepy context and another featured this case that was like specifically about free speech and child pornography. Uh, it became this huge conservative talking point. And frankly, uh, it, it, look, I find high fashion provocation fucking tiresome. Totally. I, I like my response to this. What a tiresome childish move by this fashion house. Um, I heard, I've heard people talk about it and say like, oh, Balenciaga thought people wouldn't notice. No, that is not why anyone ever makes an ad. They don't make an ad because they hope people don't notice. You think that they're like, we're just going to hide Easter eggs here in these ads and say, no, yeah. no, no. 
they did this because they wanted people to notice, but they didn't expect that it would get this bad. They thought they were just being provocateurs. Right. Uh, and, and that fashion, it's art. They can just kind of do whatever they want and they're removed from real world consequences. I think that that people who are upset about it have every right to be upset. Balenciaga is trying to distance itself from the campaign. Ugh. It's suing the creative agency. Totally. Like, they didn't approve the shit that ran? Like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? That What? I have not worked a day in the fashion industry, and, I don't, and you haven't either. No. I had to think. I was like, no. I think the closest either of us came to fashion is... <laughs> Is the blogging world in New York City. But uh, we're not, that's not how advertising works. No. They wanted attention and it backfired. Yeah. So guess what? You know what? Years ago, 100 years ago, when Calvin Klein made all those uh, Brooke Shields gene ads and people came after him saying it was child pornography, you know what he said? I'm a bad boy. Okay, just own it if you're going to do it. Don't be like, Oh, yes, we are suing. And then I think the, 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 the marketing or PR firm, whoever the fuck they are, they're counter-suing. And it's like, guys, y'all did it. Y'all did it. Uh, it's, it's so, I, I just, they did do it. They did it to get attention. Yes. They're getting too much of the wrong kind of attention and too many people are mad. And it's not, it is not some giant conspiracy among the elites to try to normalize child pornography. It is not. It is a tiresome childish attempt by a company run by tiresome children to get attention. That's all, that is all advertising ever is. This is, this is just, I cannot tell you how annoyed this story makes me. Yeah. I feel like we need to talk about it because when stuff like this is out there, it fuels like QAnon style, like it fits right into the framework of what QAnon people believe. Going back to the Pizzagate or whatever the fuck that was. Yeah. And, and you know, another thing I want to bring up is you brought up the Brooke Shields campaign and, and Calvin Klein being like, I'm a naughty boy. It's like, shut <laughs> shut up. You're exhausting and ugh. Um, child pornography and the sexualizing of children has been something that has been in American culture in a, in a horrible and disgusting way for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, like how many, how many like classic rock songs are about like teenage girls, you know, how many, you know, it's like when you're sitting in the car and you start singing along to your song and then you're like, Oh wait, this is problematic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or when you're listening to Led Zeppelin and you have to just be like, Hey, Jimmy Page had a 14 year old girlfriend during this tour. And you're like, no, no, I can't think about that right now. Um, it's like a, it's a disgust. This is not new. Balenciaga is just trying to, uh, trying to be a provocateur. It's so annoying. And Kim Kardashian has been a brand ambassador for Balenciaga for a long time. And on Sunday, um, she posted something to her Instagram that was like, I'm reevaluating my relationship with Balenciaga. It was word salad. It was so stupid. I just want to say, I think that that I, I don't want to dismiss fashion as frivolity because I think that that is misogynist when people pretend like fashion is frivolous. It's right. It's art. It's culture. It's it's an important billion dollar industry. It's 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 economic. There's so many reasons that like paying attention to fashion has value. Um but I will say that there are aspects of the world of high fashion that are completely beyond parody. Yeah. This is like something that would be cut from Zoolander. I'm just waiting to see if it's an SNL skit. Yeah. It's it's just, 
it is bad. It was a stupid decision. All of this back, like this backpedaling by this brand is, is really pathetic. And I just, oh, man, not, I mean, I'm, I'm going to cut up my Balenciaga bags now, right? Are you going to? Yeah, that's the trend on TikTok. No, Aaron, I, uh, I wish I could cut up all my Balenciaga bags, but I have none because it's never been my taste. Yeah, mine either. Okay, uh, let's take a quick break uh, because we have a really exciting guest today, someone we've wanted on the show for a very long time, and finally, she's here in the flesh. Stick around for our interview with Megan Rapino. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. 
Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have. To, I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like... Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit falling just above the knee while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're... They look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, Um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad... Your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria. Alyssa, close your eyes. Picture a soccer player. Don't tell me who it is. Don't tell me who it is. I won't. Do you have the soccer player? I do. It's Megan Rapinoe, right? Obviously, it's why I tried to dye my hair pink and it looked bad on me. (laughs) Uh, Today's guest is one of the most iconic soccer players in history. She currently plays for the U.S. women's national team and the O.L. Reign. Seattle is lucky to have her. She's a two-time World Cup champion, an Olympic gold medalist, but wait, I'm not done. She's also New York Times bestselling author and an activist that stands up for causes 
near and dear to her from equal pay to LGBTQ plus rights. This year, she received a 2022 Presidential Medal of Freedom. Megan Rapino, that has to be some kind of an EGOT. Just another notch in the belt. <laughs> Welcome to Hysteria. We're so glad to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to put uh, faces to your two's names. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I feel like you've kind of hit for the cycle when it comes for Crooked Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Also, like you're like the, the crooked podcast champion for sure. We're so happy that you're on the show. I'm trying. But before we get into it, how was your Thanksgiving? Um, it was good. I did more of a, a Friendsgiving type thing. Um, I've sort of whittled down all the family stuff to like one time during the year. Probably not like ideal for my mom, but she knows and she understands. So actually, my twin sister hosts Thanksgiving quite often. She lives in Portland. We're just up in Seattle. So just a short little drive. So it was really nice. Um, pretty chill. Um, had so much fun. Great food. Um, yeah, I was like the, you know, chief of vibes and and wine. <laughs> me, and, me and Sue are chief of vibes and wine, and we don't really do like all that much with like <laughs> the things that actually need to be done, the food. Uh, but uh, it set the mood. Uh, vibes and wine are key, though. You need vibes and wine at Thanksgiving. Otherwise, like, what is there to be thankful for if not vibes? Yeah. Um, okay. So we know it's a complicated time to be a fan of international soccer. And we'll get to that in a minute. But are you watching the World Cup? And has anything surprised you so far? Um, I have been watching the World Cup. I've been traveling a bit. So it's um, a little bit in and out. I haven't been like you know, watching um, every single game. But yeah, I've been watching the boys play, obviously. And yeah, watching all the games. Has anything surprised me? Um, not really. I think the games have been good. As you get in the, into the knockout rounds, it just gets even better because no one's really, it, it's like you're only playing for the result that's in, in front of you. And that's just like the best when you get down to the knockout stages. It's all stressful and everyone's, you know, amped up, but also stressed out. And, you know, obviously for our men's team, having missed out on the last one, like you can just tell this group is so eager. They're so into it. Like they seem like they have really good vibes on the team. So it's been fun to watch them. Um, and our midfield is just absolutely crushing it. They've like been one of the best midfields in the whole tournament. So that's been fun to see. I think they're calling them MMA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Musa nice. <laughs> McKinney and, and Adams in there, they're, they're killing it. So it's been fun to watch them and, you know, see all these guys in their first world cup with the exception of Deandre, um, just to see them experience that and just knowing what that's like to go through it. Uh, it's just so much fun to watch them. Oh, that's great. Do you have any other favorite teams besides watching the U S yeah. I mean, France, I just had the France Tunisia game on. Um, France is just so much fun to watch. They just have so many good players. It's crazy. Really into them. Who else have I watched I've been into? I think our game against the Netherlands is going to be great. They have a couple of really good young players. And obviously, one of the finest men on the planet, Virgil van Dijk, he's, you know, locking it up in the back. So that'll be nice to watch. But <laughs> who else? I feel like the some of the, like, smaller teams have been fun. Or teams, even some of the teams that are, like, knocked out of the tournament. You know, it was cool to see whales. They're, like, the population of, you know... My hometown, just kidding, my hometown's like really <laughs> tiny, but you get you get the you get the comparison. That's cool to see them. Yeah, and just like seeing players score for the first time or like countries who've never even been or countries who, you know, barely get to go or, you know, are, are definitely gonna be knocked out. It's fun to watch those those teams and those fans. And Messi, of course. I can't believe them. I actually almost cried when Messi scored his goal. I don't know why. Sports sometimes just like 
really gets at me. It what is it? It's like a Pixar movie sometimes. It just like hits you oh. right in the the cry muscles and it's just like ah. Exactly. So that's been fun. I really hope he wins. That's just, that would just be like so cool. But yeah. Not over our guys. Yeah. Oh, of course not. Um I saw in the news recently uh that this Thursday at the Costa Rica Germany match there will be an all female refereeing trio taking charge for the first time ever at a men's FIFA World Cup. Why do you think it took this long? Probably probably the same reason that the World Cup is in Qatar. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> to just general fuckery, general uh, sexism, racism, discrimination. <laughs> probably that whole reason. Yeah, I, I think that's probably... General fuckery sounds like it could be the name of the person in charge of FIFA. General, that that sounds like a real person. I know. I think the top position is called general <laughs> secretary. Is that Gianni's like official title? Something like that. I feel like there's like a general secretary in there. Yeah. And he doubled down and basically solidified himself as chief fuckery with his speech. That was insane. Well, speaking of fuckery and speaking of Qatar, Qatar's been making headlines for human rights abuses related to the World Cup since the country won the hosting bit spot in 2009, including allegations of utterly inhumane treatment of the workers sent to build the stadiums and overall infrastructure. It's obviously a tricky situation. What has the U.S. government's response been and what lessons should our government learn going forward? I don't really know what the um, response has been. I mean, it, it is a tricky, I, I feel like for the players and for the Federation, at least, it, you're limited when you're there because it's like you're not, and nor do I expect, nor would I um, encourage any of the players to, you know, boycott. If the boycott was going to happen, it needed to happen like 10 years ago when this whole thing got awarded to Cutter. But when you're there, it's like they're not going to put themselves in jeopardy. They've obviously worked so hard to to be there and have this opportunity. I think you needed to speak up about it like a long time ago and just continue to kind of like beat that drum, whether it's in press conferences or media leading up to um, or in whatever way. I know they've been obviously really cracking down on any sort of as if like a gay rainbow flag armband is going to like magically rub off on someone. It's it's just like upset literally absurd. I don't know what our government's been doing. I don't know if they're sending any real like formal delegations. I'm not sure if the president is going to any of the games. Um, I haven't seen that. So it's just like one of those things like, what are you supposed to do? This is like a major event. It's not going to not happen. Um, We're not going to pull our men's team out of it. So hopefully just, you know, players using their voice and making it known that even though they're there and obviously participating that you know, they're against so many of just the atrocities that are happening, whether it's, you know, just the human rights abuses that happen every day or the human rights abuses that happen in the lead up to the World Cup. You know, it's like they're playing and everything that they're doing there was built by migrant workers in the last 10 to 12 years in this sort of nation building project. And so every single thing they touch is whether it's roads or trains or hotels or the stadiums, it's all just stained unfortunately, by the deaths that have been sustained by a lot of these migrant workers. So it's just really, it's really tough. I don't, you know, envy these players either. That's a really tough position to be in or or the Federation. I mean, we saw what happened with the Federation um, the other day with the asset that they put up um, about the Iranian flag taking part of it out and then sort of having to immediately backtrack. I don't really know what the right, it's kind of like if you're going to do something, just go all in and, and do it. I doubt that America would be kicked out of the up you know, for continuing to do that. But 
I, I do understand the balance, but I think probably a lot more needed to be done in the last 10, 12 years than, you know, while we're there in Qatar or Qatar. Consensus uh, seems to be that the reason Qatar got the cup in the first place is that, as we alluded to earlier, FIFA is an incredibly corrupt and, frankly, dirty organization. Yeah. Um, is FIFA rotten to the core, or can that which is fucked become unfucked, and how? Ah, uh, can you unfucked a fucked situation? I mean, I think the structure of it is inherently corrupt and leads to corruption, just like the voting, all the nations having, you know, the voting rights, or I don't know exactly how it's done. You know, some of these nations will never go to the World Cup. And so like, what's their incentive? It's obviously a complete monopoly on world soccer. So they just have all of the power. So they can sort of get done whatever they want to get done. Um, it's sort of all run by just like friends and friends of friends, it <laughs> seems like. I mean, I think they're they're like trying in a lot of ways to sort of clean it up, especially after all the scandals in the recent, you know, last, whatever, 10 years or so. But, I mean, the World Cup being awarded to Qatar is just like blatant out in the open, just corruption. I mean, it's just, it's kind of insane. And, and I think too for, they just don't care either. I just don't think there's any incentive really to care either. I've said this about FIFA before and I've said this about Gianni. Like if they care, they would do something different. If they care, they would never give it to a nation that doesn't allow people to be gay or that has, you know, limited rights for women and, you know, a myriad of other things. So I, I just feel like there's not, yeah, there's not the incentive to, to do that. The incentive is is all like, just how can I get as much power and as much money? And that's kind of how you do it. And not to mention the last World Cup was in Russia. I was like, this is insane. I mean, <laughs> and the next World Cup's in America. What does that say? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not I'm not comparing, not comparing Qatar and uh, Russia to America by <laughs> any means. Let's make that clear. But, you know, those, I think those two successive World Cups, you know, say a lot about the state of soccer and just in general, how soccer works, how European soccer works, how the sort of power structure in soccer works. It's just like, it's really just all money. The U.S. women's national soccer team and women's sports in general are far more, if not the most, outspoken when it comes to political and social issues. Does it get exhausting to always be the ones fighting the fights? Yes. Cool. That's what we thought. Definitely. It's definitely exhausting um yeah it's like not all i mean we've said this you know we figured so many times um especially in our you know pay equity fight with the federation but it's like this is not my job this is not my job to you know go to mediation or to work on you know a settlement agreement or to go on the today show at 4 a.m or to do any of this really well also it's like my job is actually to play the sport and to, you know, commit as much time and effort and sort of spirit as you can to be in the best that you can. So it, it is exhausting. With that said, that's just the way that it is. Um, I think that's kind of what I tell people. It's like, yes, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And I wish I didn't have to do it. And hopefully what we've been able to do as a team the last few years will make it so that none of these players have to at least do that same thing. But it's kind of like it just it just has to be done, unfortunately. And that's just kind of where we are in the history of inequality in women's sports. And you do see it changing, so that is 
positive and that's obviously progress and action and that is motivating to keep going so I think we have some real groundswell and motivation and you know people understanding not only that it's just the right thing to do but also you know equality is good business I think at every opportunity um, and so I think the business opportunities within women's sports are just growing exponentially but yeah it's exhausting it's like I don't have to be doing all of that um, it would be great to um, put our creativity and our brain power um, and our effort somewhere else but also um, hopefully no one ever has to do that after us Right. It's like you have your brain is like a Firefox with like a million tabs open and you're like, can I just close some of these? Can I close some of these tabs? You're slowing my computer down. Yeah. Oh, so many. Yeah. When you get to your phone and you're like, oh, my God, I have 804 (laughs) apps. I don't even have all these apps. What's happening? Oh, I see. I've been checking Zillow again. Um, Anyway, uh, speaking of equality, what is the current status of the fight for pay transparency and equality in soccer and beyond? And how do we get people to care all year round and not only when a World Cup happens every four years? Mm-hmm. I mean, the status with our national team is very good. Obviously, we reached a settlement um, with the Federation this year, joint CBA with the men's national team. So we have extra incentive to, <laughs> to root for them in this World Cup. We'll share in the prize money and they'll share in our prize money um, in next year's World Cup. So that's in a, a really good place and I think a really good place moving forward. I think there was a lot, obviously, a lot of pushback from a federation leadership standpoint for so long. Um, and with Cindy Harlow Cohn as the president and just a lot of changeover in, in the board and the upper management, I think there's a, a much better understanding that this is, you know, again, not only the right thing to do, but certainly good business. I mean, they spent tens of millions of dollars, probably upwards of 20 millions of 20 million dollars fighting the lawsuit that they ended up paying 25 million dollars for. So it's just I mean, talk about fuckery. I I always said that too. I'm like, you guys know this is not just like it's just not going to end. You know, there's no it's just going to end in us getting equal pay and you having to pay us um moving forward. So they learned that the hard way. Uh, bad bit of, <laughs> inequality is a bad bit of business. But that's in a really good place. With the league, um, the NWSL, it's a little bit different. I think just still fighting for that sponsorship and those dollars. to So people can be a fan of it all year long. It's like if you don't know who plays on your team, if you don't even know there's a team, if you don't know how to get to the stream like on you know the deepest parts of the interwebs which sometimes I'm just like I play the sport I don't know how to get to this stream all of that is like infrastructure that's funded by money whether it's branding marketing ticket sales you know being in the best arenas or being in the best stadiums uh, marketing for the players all of that so I think that's kind of the the biggest piece and it's like the product on the field is amazing. It's one of the best leagues in the world. You have a ton of superstars that play in the league. You have some of the best and the most recognizable you know, players in the entire world that play in the league. It's mostly just like getting people there. The product on the field is there. I mean, it's no surprise that the MLS, which is not the best league in the world and does not have the best product on the field, while it's growing, like they have all the money in the world. They've had literally billions of dollars of investment. So you build that fan culture. You build you know, allow that to cultivate, you sort of build the infrastructure around it, you make it an entertainment property. It's not just, you know, some fans are super fans, and they're going to watch no matter what in any sport. But really, it's like you see the NFL, and you see it in the NBA, and baseball, 
it's a, just an entertainment property. So the more you can bring people in and make them feel a part of that culture and that fandom, you know, the more committed they'll be. And that honestly just takes money. People always ask, like, what's it going to take? I'm like, just money. I'm like, <laughs> give me a billion dollars of investment. I'll make it successful. <laughs> That's for sure. Megan, earlier this year, you joined the pay equity software provider, Truzaic, as its director of equality. Tell us about this. What is Truzaic's mission and what systemic problems does it seek to address and how? Yeah, so Truzaic um, is a really cool company that I partnered with um, last year. It's like an, basically an HR technology company, and they are looking to end pay inequity, essentially. And this is something I feel like was kind of the next step in, you know, not just what I was talking about, but the team was talking about. It's like, okay, so you've identified that there's pay inequity. What do you do now? And it's such a huge problem, obviously, that sort of compounds itself over time. So they have a couple of really cool and really effective tools for companies to use, one of which is the pay parity solution, which sort of identifies the issue within the company. So if you have pay discrepancies, you can adjust for age and race and gender, sexuality, you can sort of toggle all of these different things. And then obviously looks to address that by being able to to close that gap. So that's something that's really important, just understanding where the discrepancies are and where those gaps are in the company, being able to identify them. And then the other one is the equal pay estimator. I think oftentimes what happens is you don't know you're being underpaid, then you're underpaid, then it's compounding is sort of this overtime issue. But this helps sort of at the time of hiring to, you know, check all the boxes, fill everything in, and then actually give people a salary um, that is equal and, and sort of stopping the issue before it becomes an issue. So these two tools combined, I think, can really help companies, which I, I think companies do want to be on the right side of things and do want to make things right. But it's such a huge issue. It's like, how do you do that? How do you identify it? What tools are you using? How do you make up those differences? How do you stop it from moving forward? Um, And it can be a really just sort of difficult issue when you don't really have a system or a structure in place to address that. It's like, obviously, whatever system structures in place has been facilitating the inequality. So you need to sort of bring something else in to make sure that that doesn't move forward. So I feel like kind of elevating it to the forefront. Um, Another thing that we did, I came on as the chief equality officer and not just as like a fluff position, but I feel like companies need to start adding this to the upper management and adding this to the most important voices. If it's just something that's like kind of on the side or it's just in HR, like frankly, it's just not going to be listened to. This person's not going to be listened to. (laughs) They're not going to be able to implement what needs to happen. They need to be an integral part of the company. They need to be you know, in, you know, the sort of top leadership to make sure that this is like one of the pillars of the foundation of the company so that, you know, everything can be built on top of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's probably uh, less expensive than getting sued and having to pay millions and millions of dollars. It certainly <laughs> seems that way. Yeah. Hmm. It seems like a really <laughs> kind of a gimme right there. Um, so I've heard people and read people bandy about the idea of you maybe playing in the World Cup in Australia next year, pending whether or not you're dealing with any injuries. Can you give us an update? And how are you feeling about the possibility of playing in next year's World Cup? Um, I really want to play at next year's World Cup. I felt like I had a really good year this year. I uh, was able to stay healthy. You know, I'm not going to be able to have the same kind of role 
I've talked about this a lot, the same kind of role that I had before, obviously getting a wee bit older, 37 now, I'll be, you know, 38 by the time, you know, sort of the middle of the World Cup next year. But I feel like there is a, a role for me and not just, I mean, mentorship, of course, and, you know, we have a pretty young team and being able to hopefully put everything in my brain um, and all the experience that I have to the younger kids, but also still being able to play at a really high level. The World Cup in Australia is going to be Australian New Zealand co-host is just going to be insane. It's going to be, you know, such an amazing time. I feel like with the Women's World Cup, too, every year because of the investment and, the, you know, the care taken and just the way the sport is growing Every World Cup is just like exponentially better than the last one. So I'm hoping to be there. Obviously, it'll have to be, you know, health and um, selection willing. But I feel like I have a really good opportunity and looking forward to being a part of a really special group going forward next year. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, too. Um, so this is, I, you know, I, I, you bring up age. And um, as women, we get messages for our entire lives that our worth is tied to our youth. Mm -hmm. For a lot of us, you know, we've internalized this idea that it's tied to our like fertile years. So like until we're 40, and then somehow we just disappear. We no longer exist. Yeah. To turn into dust. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we become invisible. But as an athlete, I'm sure you get you get it like twice because you're a woman and an athlete. Um, how do you age without it messing with your head? Like, have you ever freaked out about getting older before realizing, wait a second, I'm only 37? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I feel like I sort of toggle between like, yeah, I'm 37. I'm still out here, you know, balling on you little young kids. Like, what's, you, what's your excuse? <laughs> my, my teammate, Rose Lavelle, she's like, if you're going to keep saying you're 37, you better start acting like it. So there's a little bit of like pride, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of pride involved and you know, still being able to do, you know, what I love at a very high level. And I think also just like the training and the sports medicine and everything has just, you know, grown so much and become so good. I think we need to just, even on the men's side, adjust our sort of expectations of when athletes, you know, are, are starting to decline because we see it, obviously you hear about it all the time on the men's side. It's just like, you can't not hear about Tom Brady and, you know, LeBron James, which I also think is just another amazing thing about female athletes. Like we're doing all this in play. Obviously my, you know, fiance Sue Bird just retired this year, but played into her forties on like literally like a fraction of the budget. I'm like, if I could spend a million dollars on my body every year, I would play till I was 52. Like it's, <laughs> it's impressive, but it's not that impressive. I mean, you have literally like an entire entourage of people like doing every single thing that you need to do. So shout out to women's athletes there. <laughs> but it is a little like I just hear so much chatter all the time. It kind of becomes like this lazy default of like, it, it, it's in part true because of course, as you get older, risk of injury. And, you know, as I said before, I, I won't be able to have the same role as I did before, but it kind of becomes this lazy thing. Like, can she do it because she's old? And it's like, okay, well, you know, do it. It's like, am I like with a cane on the field? Because if that's, if that's the case, <laughs> no, she can't do it because she's old. But I think just like trying to still evaluate people's game gets in the way a little bit um, sometimes. I think with male athletes also, it just becomes this like default thing that it's like once you reach a certain age, this is like all anybody wants to qualify everything with. So that's a little frustrating, but also it's like I'm still playing. So I guess they can just, you know keep asking if I'm too old. And I ask myself too, I'm like, how, how are we feeling in this body? And certainly things, you know, <laughs> take a little longer to warm up and everything's a little bit more difficult, but, um, I think you get smarter and you understand your body better and 
you know, you go through sort of changes in your body every like four, five, six years, um, which is interesting and fun. And I feel like you can find different ways to train and still stay at the top of your game. Megan, we always like to end on a light note. So. All right. Who has the better shoe collection, you or Sue? Sue definitely has the better sneaker collection. Um, she's, yeah, bona fide little sneaker head. I have a different range than Sue does. I like to wear more like loafers or dress shoes or boots or stuff like that. So I have more in, in that category, but it's definitely Sue. She's her, yeah, her, her shoe collection is, is almost <laughs> unrivaled. I just had a vision of like a Nike loafer for the retired soccer player. <laughs> I'm going to work on that with them. You could be the face of the retirement <laughs> loafer uh, for ultra performance in retirement. Um, Megan Rapino, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, can't wait for next year's Women's World Cup. And thank you for everything that you have done for pay equality, LGBTQ issues, and the sport of soccer. Thank you so much for having me on. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm? It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria. Alyssa is still here with me. So is Megan Rapino. We are going to get to I Feel Petty, a very special I Feel Petty. But before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. Alyssa, there's another election in Georgia. Another one. Say it ain't so. They're always having elections, but this one's really important. They're all really important. Early voting started Monday, November 28th for the December 6th election. If you are a Georgia voter, head over to votesaveamerica.com to make your plan. And if you want to help out no matter where you live, you can donate and find remote and in-person volunteer opportunities to make sure the Warnock campaign has the resources it needs. 51 senators means the difference between a true majority or being faced with another two years of roadblocks like Problem Children, Kirsten Cinema, and Joe Manchin. Make sure that every Georgia voter can make their voice heard again at votesaveamerica.com. Oh, also, I feel like Kamala Harris is like, 
hustling as hard as she can behind the scenes because if we have 51 senators, that means Kamala doesn't have to like constantly sit in the chair, <laughs> be doing tie-breaking votes. She's like, I need to get out of D.C. sometimes, please. She's like, listen, I have shit to do. <laughs> If you've ever messaged a friend about a manager who won't stop texting after hours or a coworker who keeps posting weirdly suggestive Austin Powers gifts in Slack, you are not alone. On Crooked Media's newest podcast, Work Appropriate, author and host Anne Helen Peterson sets out to find solutions to these oddly specific yet completely universal listener-submitted questions. Whether you work in an office chair or a sixth grade classroom, the problems may be limitless, but so are the solutions. Listen to Work Appropriate now wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Check it out. Ooh, merch news. We love merch news. The Crooked Store has launched brand new merch inspired by your favorite shows just in time for the holidays. New items include sweatshirts inspired by Love It or Leave It and Hysteria, Santa is a woman, a bake appreciator apron, and a magnetic poetry kit that lets you make your own terrible notes app apology. This holiday season, every order from the Crooked Store will support Vote Save America's Every Last Vote Fund to make sure every voice can be heard in the face of unprecedented voter suppression. Find the perfect gift for the Crooked fan in your life and pick up something for yourself while you're at it. Head to crooked.com store to shop now. Okay, we're going to do I Feel Petty. Megan, do you want to start us off? What are you feeling petty about this week? Well, it just happened right now. I feel petty about still not understanding how to get the audio file into the we transfer to give it to the podcast. I just don't know why it always, I just don't know why things aren't, it's like things are so easy that you expect them to be easier. So I'm feeling petty about technology and how easy, difficult it can be. It kind of reminds me of, you know, like in middle school or whatever, you'd go to the library for a presentation and there'd always be a problem with the AV equipment. It would take the them microfiche. Like half, yeah, it would take them like half the time to set it up. I feel like a struggling librarian using technology <laughs> half the time, I think. Yeah, I think that that's a great one. Um, yeah. Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about? OK, you guys, here's what I'm feeling petty about. So since... COVID. I don't know if it's since COVID started or since I had COVID. I keep getting sick. I get sick from everyone. I get sick from everything. This was not a thing before. I was a very uh, high functioning, healthy person. And now I have fucking snot coming out of my nose at all times. And I sound like a cross between a Smurf and Gargamel. And I need people to not say Oh, listen, you're sick again? Yeah, I'm fucking sick again, okay? I'm not I'm not asking for your sympathy. I'm on the Zoom. I'm doing the work. So just like it just makes me it makes me feel really sad and it hurts my feelings when they're like, you're sick again? And it's like, what do you want from me? I wore a mask for two years. I have no immunity. Like yeah. Jesus Christ. I followed the rules. All the people who didn't follow the rules are the reason we have 750,000 variants that we can all catch. So honestly, just fuck off. Be nice to people who keep getting sick. It is like very uncomfortable to be sick. I just, I got over a little sickness and I was just like, I tested and it's, and then you got to be like, oh, it's not COVID. You tested and then it's a whole right. thing. And then it's just like, it's so uncomfortable. I think I just hadn't been sick in a long time. And like, what is this? 
Why is it still here? Okay, I've got a droopy eye. I don't know why that's happening, but I'm here. Okay, I'm doing my day to day. So stop judging me. Uh, Thank you. This new variant of whatever upper respiratory virus is going around gives you droopy eye. I guess that's the that's the thing. It does. Everyone's got droopy eye. Um, I think that I am immune to some kind of some kinds of sicknesses. No, I'm serious. You're may I know, but I have to knock wood. I have to knock wood. I never. I never. Never get sick. My baby just got over like a three week illness. She was really sick for a while and she like spent half of it coughing directly into my mouth. Like, how did I not get sick? You've got all that. She coughs in your face all day, so you don't get it. I get one cough in the face. Kids cough like into your mouth. Like, they're so rude. And I didn't get sick, so I don't know what it is, but I, uh, yeah, knock, knock wood. I've knocked. It sounds like she's bragging on you, though. She does. She is. She is. This is this is the tier two of the petty. Alyssa, if there was a way, <laughs> if there was a way for me to like extract some of my antibodies and send them to you via the US mail. Thank you. As long as you just don't own oh, your sinking in, then we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that, I promise. Um, I might make you a t-shirt that says I'm sick again with iron on That letters. would be fucking hilarious. Or just a hat. A hat like Megan's that just says I'm sick again. I'm sick again. <laughs> I'm sick beanie. That sounds great. Um, Okay, so here's what I'm feeling petty about. I'm feeling petty about an encounter that I had yesterday. There's a giant mall near where I live because, you know, California. But there's a mall that's like a Rick Caruso mall. So it's like a combination of like Disneyland and like consumerism, but like just with stores and no characters. Does it have a rainforest cafe? No, but it does have a cheesecake factory. (laughs) Glendale, California. It's called the Americanum but they have a great Christmas display. And I took my kid there yesterday to get her picture with Santa. And after we got the picture with Santa, there's this area where you like wait for the pictures to get printed out and handed to you. And there's a giant Christmas tree, which is also another great photo opportunity, but there isn't like a professional photographer there like taking pictures. So there's this other family that came out right after us and they looked like, you know, in like 80s movies when there's like the snobby family who's like, we don't socialize with them. Yet you're all at the same mall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wearing like ripped up jeans and like a baggy sweatshirt and my, you know, it, I, I did not look like I was very put together. And these people came out and the dad had like, was like the captain of the slick back hair team, sort of, you know, and like the kid was wearing suspenders and like designer sunglasses and he was like four. Anyway, they were like getting their, they were taking each other's pictures in front of the Christmas tree. And I was like, do you, would you like me to take a photo of you all together? And the dad looks at me and goes, we just had a professional photo taken. That won't be necessary. And I was like, shut <laughs> up. Fuck you, dude. Like, so villain dad from a John Hughes movie. Honestly, I was like, ah, so this like, you know, it, it is totally reasonable that a, a person being nice might be like, I'll take your picture for you guys. It looks like you're individually taking your pictures in front of this thing. Do you know what my takeaway from that would have been if I were the villain dad? What? I'd have been like, oh my God, we're bogarting the tree. We should hurry up. She's offering to take the picture because we're taking so fucking long. But see, he didn't have that kind of self-awareness. That's what I would have thought. I would have been like, oh my God, we're taking so long. We should hurry up. People are starting to ask us if they want us to take photos. People are like, are you moving into the tree? Yeah, yeah. It was just like, uh, and then he like looked at my daughter and he was like, is that a blah, blah, blah brand dress? And I was like, I don't know what. Yes. He asked me what brand. No. My child's Ew. Dr- oh my 
avoid Americana Santa situation at all costs. It was just so weird. And he just was like acting like a very important person at 1 p.m. at a Santa display. If he were so important, he'd have his own Santa. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like, fuck that guy. That's that's my what I'm feeling petty about this. Yeah, week. you didn't hire your own Santa? Loser. Fuck that guy. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> Oh yeah, this is this is actually my dad. We're just visiting. We have a separate Santa at our house that that's where we're going to. <laughs> yeah. I have one more petty. I don't even know if I need to say it. I feel like my other petty was weak, but this might even be weaker. You know what I'm really fucking over? Is all of the content series, whether it's like a documentary or limited series, it's a lot of limited series, about the same story over and over again. And it's the cult guy or the religious guy or the cannibal guy. It just does the same thing every single time. There's so many. There's like the Warren Jeffs one out right now. There's the, what's what's the Liberty guy? Um, the Trump Liberty guy. I watched that. Liberty University. Uh, the Falwells. The Falwells. There's the, the cannibal one. I'm forgetting all these people's names. And why are we normalizing cannibalism? It feels like there are other things we could normalize. I'm just like, we've seen this. We've seen this story one million times. Who keeps green lighting this shit? It's just terrible. I'm like, oh, let me guess. Let me guess. Got it. Okay. They're, e- they're either like having sex with everyone or they're kidnapping everyone and they <laughs> think they're God. Okay. Like Nexium did not need a second curtain call. No. Oh, it's terrible. I feel like we've seen a thousand of them. Okay, that's what I'm getting petty about. Because I keep getting asked, like, oh, have you watched this? Oh, have you watched this? And I'm like, well, yes, I've seen it before. But no, I don't need any more content series about psychopathic white men. I just don't. We agree. That's what I'm petty about. <laughs> I feel like it glorifies them a little bit. I feel like it's it's a little bit like, like I if these cult leaders probably feel a huge charge to their, like, self-esteem when they... Uh, see themselves depicted by an actor totally or like d- talked about in a in a docuseries no I'm, I'm with you that's gonna bug me now too megan all right megan rapino thank you so much for joining us today this was super fun Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die thank you listeners for being great and there'll be more hysteria for you next week Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonico is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Hey there, Brenda. 
It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm? It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.